So today we jump, we jump back to the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew chapter 9. After finishing our study of 2 Timothy, now we get to continue our way through Matthew's Gospel. So why study the Gospels? Why spend our time studying the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John? Well, it's in the Gospels we get a close-up look at our Lord and Savior. If there was one foundational truth, we need that. We need to know Him. We need to enjoy Him. We need to know how He thinks. We know, need to know what He did and what he said, and what he expects, and what he appreciates, and what he prioritizes, and what he loves, and what he condemns, why he did what he did. We get to see God incarnate as we study the gospel of Matthew. The exposition of God in human flesh, the fulfillment of all the Old Testament passages, Jesus Christ. The clearest revelation of our God is found in the person and work of Jesus. As the author of Hebrews states in Hebrews 1, 1, God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers and the prophets in many portions and in many ways in these last days, has spoken to us in his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom he also he made the world. And he, that is Jesus, is the radiance of his glory and the exact representation of his name and upholds all things by the word of his power. I want to know Jesus more. How about you? So that's why we're here today. We continue our study of the gospel. It gives us an up-close and personal look at our Savior, God. So today we renew our walk through Matthew's gospel we continue to see the life and ministry of Jesus. And as we'll see, there's a transition into, the, into another major discourse that we're going to find in the Gospel of Matthew. There are four points of emphasis for us to take to heart in our passage today in this revelation of Jesus and His message or His ministry. First, we'll see, Behold the glory of Jesus. Then we'll see, recognize the needs of others. Third, we'll see, understand the solution. And finally, we'll see, play your role. We'll talk about these things as we go down through our passage. Let's start with, behold the glory of Jesus. Look again at verse 35 of chapter 9. Jesus was going through all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel the good news of the kingdom, and healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. Seeing the people, he felt compassion for them because they were distressed and dispirited like sheep without a shepherd. Matthew was calling the readers to look at, behold, observe, see how amazing the glory of this ministering Savior Jesus is. Verse 35 of chapter 9 is a summary verse that ends the last section. But it also begins the transition to the next main discourse that starts in chapter 10, verse 5. We'll talk about that next week. Matthew used 9.35 just like he used 
Matthew 4.23. Look back over there real quick. You'll see. In 4.23, right before the big discourse of the Sermon on the Mount, we see almost identical words. Jesus was going through all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness among the people. So you see 23 to 25 is the transition into the next main discourse. Here we see over in chapter 9 the same exact pattern. Matthew gives a, a summary of what we should be doing, what the reader should be doing, observing the glory of Christ. Here we see in 935, Jesus again is on mission. He's traveling through all the cities of Galilee, probably the same area, maybe a little bit wider area in the northern part of Israel, in the promised land. Not to the Gentiles, but only in the uh, cities that it were inhabited by the Jews. These are the cities in the northern towns, or the, the, the northern area north of Judea. Not down where Jerusalem was, not down near Bethlehem, but up in the northern part still. Predominantly Jewish people that he was reaching, but there were many Gentiles and Samaritans in those areas also. Teaching, it says, notice, in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. Obviously, Jesus was respected enough to be invited to teach and preach in the local synagogues. Word was getting out. He was healing lots of people. Go ahead. Why don't you speak? Why don't you go ahead and share with us from the word? He was giving people a glimpse of the kingdom to come. Talking about the kingdom to come. He was proclaiming the need to repent. That's already been mentioned in Matthew. To turn to him for forgiveness of sin and enjoyment of God forever in his kingdom. He was using the Old Testament prophecies. He was um, pointing to the fact that the Messiah had come. Now, how much did he uh, develop all of this? We're not given the answers. We're not told a lot about what exactly he preached. It just says that he preached. We do know that from another account, when he was in his hometown, as the, the scripture was read from Isaiah, he stood up and said, these prophecies are fulfilled today in your hearing, saying, in effect, I'm the one. So often it might have been a, a veiled revelation that he was the Messiah, but all those who had ears to hear were getting it. And he was proclaiming himself and proclaiming the kingdom to come. Thus all the prophecies were being fulfilled as he also healed people. It says healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. One of the characteristics of the kingdom to come that he was announcing is it would be a healthy world. It would be a, a world without sickness. A world where diseases and illnesses of every kind were eliminated. So when the king shows up and starts healing all the people, that should have been a good sign. Hey, the king's here. We need to repent and turn to him. Because he's a giving us a glimpse of what the kingdom will be like. So he was keeping the promises that were prophesied of him that he would heal diseases and sicknesses. 
And yet at the same time he was announcing, I'm the king, I'm here in a sense. Beloved, this is the hope of the kingdom to come. And that same king that came is going to return. And we are looking forward to that day when all those diseases and every sickness will be eradicated. This is our hope. The same king that came and announced the kingdom to come and eradicated much of the diseases in that time will one day clean up the mess here. And all the illnesses that are here. And this is our hope that we look forward to. But we put our faith and our hope not in being healed here. But in the one who will bring final deliverance. Final healing. The final glorification that's coming. And we put our hope in him. In Jesus. Sadly much of these diseases that were being healed. The people were coming only for that. For what they could get. Instead of him who they really needed. We'll see that as we go along. Much of the cities that he, vi- he visits and does these healings, he then condemns them and says, the judgment's going to be worse for you than Sodom and Gomorrah, for you saw all these miracles and yet you did not turn to me. So very important. It's not about getting, ultimately when he does this, he's saying, look to me. He's not saying, look for healing. He's saying, look to me. Look to me. So important. Jesus is announcing and showing that He is the one. He is our hope. I love these words right here. Look at it. Seeing people, it says. Seeing the people. Having compassion on them. Oh, this, this, reviews, this reveals two attributes of the Old Testament God that are seen in Jesus Christ. You know, He is God. He is God incarnate. And those two attributes are very clear here. It says, seeing people and having compassion on them. Jesus reveals He is the Old Testament's El Roy. What is El Roy? It's the God who sees. Where were we introduced to El Roy? The seeing God. Anybody remember? How about Genesis 16? Let's look over there real quick. Let me give you an example of how Jesus is just like and is the exact representation of the God of the Bible, the Old Testament, who sees. In Genesis 16, you all know the events surrounding these the situation, God had promised Abram that he would have a great nation and he had believed and it had been accredited to him as righteousness as we talked about in Sunday school in, in Genesis 15. And God had said, you're going to have a descendant. You're going to have descendants as much as the stars. And then something bad happens. What happens in Genesis 16? Sarai, his wife, says, hey, take Hagar because I'm barren. I want a child. You take Hagar to be your wife or to, to be the lady that will give me a child in a sense. And so what happens? She conceives. Hagar conceives. And in the process, what happens then? Sarai gets angry, jealous, and she mistreats Hagar. So what's Hagar do? She flees. And we see that in verse 7, 
Now the Lord, the angel of the Lord, um, my take is, is that's probably pre-incarnate Jesus here. The angel of the Lord found her by a spring of the water in wilderness, by the spring of the, on the way of Shur. He said, Hagar, Sarai's maid, where have you come from and where are you going? And she said, I am fleeing from the presence of my mistress Sarai. Then the angel of the Lord said to her, Return to your mistress and submit yourself to her authority. Moreover, the angel of the Lord said to her, I will greatly multiply your descendants so that they will be too many to count. Boy, that's a deity, isn't it? The angel of the Lord saying that he's going to give descendants. The angel of the Lord said to her further, Behold, you are with child, and you will bear a son, and you shall call his name Ishmael, because the Lord has given heed to your affliction. He will be a wild donkey of a man. His hand will be against everyone, and everyone's hand will be against him, and he will live it to the east of all of his brothers. Then she called the name of the Lord. She called the name of the Lord who spoke to her. You are a God who sees. El Roy. For she said, have I even remained alive here after seeing him? Very interesting, isn't it? Elroy sees her in her afflictions. This is God who sees the afflicted and moves and takes action. So when Jesus shows up in 9 and he is the one who sees those who are hurting, it makes sense. He is the angel of the Lord who has come in the flesh to help those who are in hurting or who are hurting. He has compassion. This is our God and Savior, beloved. This is great news. This is good news. He sees us in our hurting. He sees us in our distress. He is fully aware when we are hurting and struggling. And Jesus is a compassionate God. That is great news. He lived in the world. He saw exactly where people were and what they needed. This is a great truth about the glory of Jesus. Look clearly at the glory of the God who made us. He sees us. He sees you. He sees you in your pain. He's compassionate to you that are hurting. I know right now, many of you have come up to me. I know several of you have come up to me with your burdens and your struggles. And there are times where I feel like I can't even bear the weight of all the things I hear from you. And I want to let you know, I'm not your fix. I can tell you who can help you though. And my message is going to be consistently the same. It is not going to be, look to me. It's going to say, behold the glory of Jesus. He has compassion and he sees your pain. He is your hope. He feels compassion like no other human has ever felt compassion. He loves like no one has ever loved. He is who we turn to. 
And this compassion was not only for those that were in physical pain, but even more in spiritual need. He saw the people. He saw their need of salvation. The heavy burden of the Pharisees that were mentioned back at the beginning of chapter 9 and chapter 8, that burden that was placed on them by the Pharisees that said, keep the law, keep the law. Be perfect or be like us. That burden that was crushing many. He saw it. He saw their need of a real shepherd. And he felt compassion on them. They needed their sins forgiven. They needed righteousness imputed to them. They needed new hearts. They needed a new relationship with God. Not one that they were separated and only the high priest could go into and talk to once a year. They needed a God and a relationship with God where they could enjoy Him and delight in Him. He saw them in their need. And He sees us in our need too. They needed a leader. If Jesus' primary mission was to heal people... He could have healed the whole world by just speaking it immediately. He could have just said, you're healed. Don't you remember the story of the guy that says, you don't even need to come to my house? All you do is speak and it'll happen. Do you understand? Jesus could have said, done. And everybody would have been healed. So what was he mainly there for? What was his primary mission? It was to announce the kingdom to come and the glory of the king who was coming to die to pay for sin so that they could be reconciled to God. That was the main need. Physical healings weren't the primary need. primary need was of salvation. They were like sheep, as it'll say in a little bit, without a shepherd. So, this brings us to our next point Recognize the needs of others. That's what Jesus did. He recognized the needs of others. In verse 36, seeing the people, he felt compassion for them. Because they were distressed and dispirited like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. What did the people need? What did they need? Well, look at it really closely. It says they were distressed and dispirited. It doesn't say they were sick. They were physically sick. That was a given. They were bringing them to him. What they really had was a heart problem. They were distressed and dispirited. I don't need to get into all the psychology stuff and talk about depression and, and whether these things are... Yeah, all the words that are used in psychology today. But let's just put it real simple. Here's the terminology for depression in the Bible. Distressed and dispirited. Those are the words. There they are. They're in Scripture. And this describes the condition of humanity outside of Christ. Distressed and dispirited. In our circles we speak of Total depravity a lot, don't we? We talk about the sinfulness of man. And this is truth. 
But the human heart is also distressed and dispirited. Beloved, living on this planet without God as our shepherd and leader is a distressing condition. When the best we have is what this world has to offer and its false gods, we're miserable, aren't we? We're miserable. The temporary fleshly happiness of this world leads to pain and ultimately death. The man-made religions of this world lead us to either an arrogant self-righteousness, which is horrible. In other words, you either fall on one side or the other in this world. You either fall into the world that thinks, well, I'm, I'm pretty good and so I'm going to clean myself up. And look at me, I'm pretty clean. Or you fall off the other side and say, well, I'm so horrible, it doesn't matter. And God doesn't really care anyway, so I'm just going to let go and be as wicked as I can. But both of those conditions are what? Distressing, discouraging, depressing. We live in a depressed world, literally, don't we? Well, a lot of people sure do know how to put on a fake smile, don't they? But the next day, they're miserable. They may smile at you for a moment. But their hearts are aching for something better. The fleeting happiness of this world promotes, that this world promotes is, is shallow and it's short-lived. It kind of reminds me of, you know, we have Bush Gardens passes. You, you see it. You, you walk around and everybody's smiling at the beginning of the day. By the end of the day, it's misery. Everybody's trying to pick their feet up to go to the next step and all the kids are crying. <laughs> and then there's those rides you get on and you're like, whoa, this is great, this is so much fun. But then you go home and you're back to reality. You can't ride Shikra 24-7. And if you did, you'd probably die. <laughs> it's just fleeting happiness, isn't it? The greatest that this world has to offer, the, the happiest place on earth, is all, I'm just being honest, it's a facade. Because it's not true happiness. True joy is not found at Disneyland. It's found in Jesus Christ. It's found in Him. The world tells us that this is all there is and then makes everything here overly important. Our health, our wealth, our possessions... Even our family and our friends, they consume our thoughts. It becomes all we think about. But ultimately, it's short-lived. Everybody in the room that's over the age of 40 probably knows exactly what I'm talking about. Anybody have any pains you wake up with?
Jesus saw it. And he had compassion on people. What a good God, right? Behold our God. Behold our Savior. Ultimately, the world leaves us like the people of Jesus that Jesus saw in his day, distressed and dejected or thrown down in spirit. But there is good news. <laughs> there is glorious news. There is wonderful, great truth that we need to hold on to. And it starts with the king. It starts with him. And then it comes finally in the kingdom to come. And I can't wait for that day. How about you? Didn't we see this with the apostle Paul? At the end, he talked about that kingdom to come, didn't he? For in the end, there is a crown laid up for me. Hmm. Jesus then saw this and saw, had compassion towards them. And Jesus is the same today, beloved. These were sheep. These people were like were sheep, or like sheep without a shepherd. Listens, my friends. Our hope is in Jesus, our good shepherd. He laid down his life for us. He took it back up again. He died and rose from the dead. He paid for sin and provides eternal life to everyone who believes in him. You say, well, Mike, I've heard this. You've talked about this before. You've said these truths before. You're saying the same thing again. Yes, I am. And it's funny because people want me to counsel them with something else. I was just recently talking to somebody and they were saying, what do I do? They want something more. And I said, he's, not, he's all we have. He's all we have. He's the good shepherd. He's my hope. He's what gets me up in the morning when I'm sick. He's everything to me. He's our life. Hallelujah. What a Savior. And it's the kingdom to come. It's not this world. It's not this world. All of us who know this good news, we need to have this same heart of compassion, though, towards other people. And I want you to understand that this is how we have to see other people. We have to see them, though they may paint out these smiling faces and say, I am sure enjoying my sin. No deep and in their souls, they are distressed and dispirited, and they need God. 